the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O T R A C, and grab 40% off that first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash Spot Track. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Sunday. It's a good, bad day. I love doing these. Um, generally, when there's just a hell of a lot going on and I'm doing more watching than research, I have to just kind of evaluate things as they come. And uh, I'll start with what I think is the hottest topic of the weekend in terms of the NFL and and where things may be headed over the next 15 weeks. And then uh, some baseball mixed in, maybe even some basketball, because yes, it's radio silent, but we're still doing some work behind the scenes that I can pull some numbers out from. But it's going to be a back and forth, goods, bads, goods, bads. I don't want to overreact too much, but I have to react to injuries. I have to react to what I think is going to be the next iteration of a contract and people that are playing in or out of that situation, certainly with the baseball stuff, as I'll get to in a second here. But the soup du jour, the first good. John Lynch and the San Francisco 49ers. You know where this is going next, but they didn't get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. They probably had a decent trade offer. Maybe not a second rounder, but a decent trade offer. They didn't just dump out his contract, take on the uh, minimal dead cap, free up $20 million in space, and go from there. Instead, they restructured. And they took it down to about $7.5 with a ton of incentives if he had to play. Well, here we are. <laughs> a game and a half in. Not even a game and a half in. Jimmy Garoppolo's here and uh, led the 49ers to a pretty convincing victory today. Not not super Jimmy Garoppolo form, but guess what? Coming in cold, had no plans to play today. Certainly didn't have the mindset or the, you know, the physical preparation to be thrown into today's game. So it wasn't as efficient and game manager as we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo in the past, but certainly got the job done in a, a walkover with Seattle. Boy, there was some questionable play calling again from Seattle. I think that's going to be a thing, but we'll see. Maybe it won't last too long because it won't be allowed to last too long. But Garoppolo's decent, 13 for 21, a touchdown pass. And uh, look, whether this was Lance or Garoppolo behind the helm there, this was about the, the 49ers running the ball today, which is what they did with Jeff Wilson now that Elijah Mitchell has been pretty much shelved for the season here. So if you followed any kind of fantasy or DFS stuff this week, that was going to be the, the calling card for this 49ers team anyway. You just kind of saw things settle down, though, when Garoppolo got in there. I mean, an immediate impact, touchdown pass, and then kind of reverted back into just calm, cool, collective 49ers offense. Nothing too flashy, nothing too fancy, and a convincing win, which is what we saw last year. It's why they got to the NFC Championship game. There was just a balance and a composure to the team. You have to think that's going to be the norm here. Now, look, they're in a burner division, but the Rams, again today, looked weird. Yes, the Rams won, but they looked they almost gave the damn thing up to Atlanta late in the game again. So there's, there's holes in this division, and yes, I'm one of those people that bet the under on nine and a half wins for the 49ers. I'm not sweating it because it was a couple of couple of nickels here and there, but there's the door is now open to where, and by the way, the reason I went under nine and a half is I believe Trey Lance needed serious development within the game. And in saying that I wasn't saying he shouldn't play in saying that he's going to play means there's going to be growing pains. And I think those growing pains come at the cost of a couple of wins here and there one of which might have been last week in Chicago, weather-related, but also, I think, quarterback-related. Now I don't think I have that advantage on my betting side because Garoppolo's just not going to make stupid mistakes. He's not going to make great throws down the field. He's going to make simple throws, boring throws. So the 49ers are boring, but boring might be 11 wins now. 
So I, I give John Lynch all the credit in the world because I think this was the hardest thing to do from a team standpoint, maybe even from a monetary standpoint, right? I don't think they wanted to pay their backup quarterback $8 million. And by the way, some of those bonuses now have already kicked in for Garoppolo because every time he plays more than 25% of the snaps of a game, he gets $250,000. And if they win that game, he gets an extra 100000 So just for today's performance, Garoppolo bags an extra $350,000, which makes him his 2022 compensation over $8 million already. Way more than most backup quarterbacks out there right now. Way more. Obviously, he's the starter. And Adam Schefter's already reported that it's a serious ankle injury for Trey Lance. So let's flip to our first bad, which is certainly that. Trey Lance is not going to get the chance to work out those kinks, to go through those growing pains in what is now year two. I'm not going to crap on the 49ers for making the move, for trading up, for, for drafting this kid, because clearly the skill set is completely different, and it's the skill set that Kyle Shanahan wanted as, as, the, as where he wanted his offense to go. He knew he could be successful to a certain degree with a quarterback like Garoppolo. That's fine. And I don't give him... I have no problem with Kyle Shanahan saying, I can be better with a different set of skills which is what Trey Lance was going to offer him. This is why it's bad for me. It's bad because there are such short leashes on these quarterbacks, especially in the rookie wage scale. It's just not something you come back from and you're immediately handed the keys and said, all right, kid, now it's your turn. We'll wait. No big deal. Now they did it with Burrow, number one overall pick. We've seen it in the past. We've also seen teams just simply say, we just don't have time. We're wiping our hands clean of this. What if Garoppolo brings him back to the NFC Championship game again today, this year? It's completely possible. Completely possible. Now they have to get a little healthier, and that defense has to continue to hold serve like this. But if they could do it last year, there's no reason to believe they can't this year. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. They've invested heavily in the offensive line. They may need to shore up some depth in that regard. But my, my biggest fear and the biggest bad for me with Trey Lance outside of the severe ankle injury is does he ever get a real chance again? You know, if this is a full season injury, can Garoppolo actually play himself into the future starting quarterback? Because Jimmy Garoppolo is a pending free agent with a no, no franchise tag clause in this deal and a no trade clause. So <laughs> for all intents and purposes, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next March 15th. And of course, there's going to be a couple teams looking at him. So A, from his perspective, he now gets what could be 15 weeks to showcase even more of his abilities. Because if he can continue to do this and be a slightly better than game manager and be successful, why wouldn't a team take him on? Why wouldn't Carolina look at him over, over Baker Mayfield next year? Right? Why wouldn't Atlanta consider him over Mariota? All those things are going to be on the table. New Orleans right? If, if Jameis Winston can't stay healthy slash continues to throw four interceptions a game, Tampa Bay is going to need somebody if, if and when Tom Brady does officially walk away. I, I'm just, that's off the top of my head. I'm not even doing an exercise here. So Garoppolo's got a real chance here, not only to win ball games this year and actually be considered long-term now for San Francisco. He's got to be back in that conversation. This is not just hyperbole. This is a real opportunity for him to say, all right, sorry, Kyle. I know you wanted that guy and you guys gave up kind of the farm to get him, but the, the window's just slammed. You waited. You gave me the keys for one more year. Now I've got him back because this kid's injured and that's terrible. 
but why would you wait? Why would you why would you spend 2023 going through Trey Lance's growing pains plus an injury recovery, which is what this is going to be, when you've got a roster that's 85% ready to win ball games every single week, right? I mean, you, certainly there's some some upgrades that can be made, maybe that happens this offseason with the rising salary cap. But there's a real chance that Garoppolo has not won this bo- this job back on a more long-term basis, even though the contract right now says differently. Good. Christian Kirk left Arizona in free agency this past offseason. Everybody freaked out for 11 seconds because it was $18 million a year, $72 million total, $37 million guaranteed for Christian Kirk, who was the third option in Arizona last year. He's now the number one option, and he's got 12 catches for 195 yards and four touchdowns in two games with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are now 1-1 one and, one and look good. They shut down an indie team that was certainly depleted. In fact, they shut out an indie team. That was certainly depleted on both sides of the ball. So it's nothing to really hang your hat on long term, but they got the job done because there's a lot of new faces in the coaching staff, on the defensive side of the ball, and certainly within this weaponry. So it's not like this is there's experience here. Now there's NFL experience that's been brought to this team, but not as a cohesive unit. They are gelling quickly around Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, which is kind of what we thought might happen. Doug Peterson is just kind of that guy who's high energy, real systematic. And if, you, if he can get the right people to listen, he can be very successful very quickly with anybody. Nick Foles for case. So I do believe there's a real chance here that this isn't, you know, a deep playoff run team, but especially now with the division completely a disaster around them. Seriously. I mean, in Buffalo, if Buffalo beats up on Tennessee tomorrow night, there's a real chance here that Jacksonville is at least competing for the division title in 10 weeks, which is where they want to be. That's what you want to be from worst to next year. So Christian Kirk's a huge part of this. Here's the contract. Like I mentioned, $37 million guaranteed through 2023 over the next two years. You know, that's 18th in the league in terms of guarantees for wide receivers because of the offseason we just had at that position. Let's just say he gets three years out of this contract. It's $55 million over three years. He's 28 years old after 2024. If he's still this guy, if he's still the number one option for Trevor Lawrence, you take your $55 million and you turn that into another four-year extension, maybe in the $25 million year, per year range because the wide receiver is going to be well over $30 million a year at that point. So three for 55 and then what is where I'm going with Christian Kirk because if you've got this immediate chemistry with young Trevor Lawrence, you're just not going anywhere. You're not, you know, and, and that's just how it's going to work. Jacksonville's done letting their their big fish walk. You can tell. Now, Trent Belke's not the best guy for this long term. He has shown that he can make a good move here, a good move there, and then five bad moves. That's just how his GM history has gone. So I'm not all in by any means here, but I do believe coach, quarterback, and now some of these free agent signings have immediately hit. And that's what you needed to see. That's the stepping stone. There is an offensive line there. They've spent heavily and drafted heavily there. So I do believe they're going in the right direction and taking the right steps to get there. But there's no question that Christian Kirk is an early W in Jacksonville. Bad. Arizona. I know they just won. I know they just beat the Raiders, who are also on this list, by the way. But they beat the Raiders with a 59-yard fumble recovery. Okay? And by the way, that might be a thing. Fluky, weird Arizona football. Because Kyler Murray's not looking great, even though the numbers are going to be there. He's a talented, skilled guy. But that doesn't mean he can put the whole package together on a weekly basis. 
in my opinion, both Dallas and Arizona, winners today, weirdly, in overtime, did too much subtraction, not enough addition, or not enough taking care of their own situations, right? Dallas's offensive line, we saw it crumbling the beginning of last year, and Jerry Jones just let that thing kind of ride out, let players walk away, some to Miami, some to retirement, etc. Arizona let pass rushers go and did nothing to address their secondary immediately. And I'm not going to sit here and say that they can't do that at the trade deadline, next draft, et cetera, et cetera. But when you pay your quarterback $200 million, you better have a roster in place. Because yes, you're going to have five years with him, guaranteed. Guaranteed. But you better get three of them high-impact, legitimate Super Bowl contention. Otherwise, why are you paying $200 million? Just to be competitive? No. You let that guy walk if that's, if that's your mindset. Backwards thinking. You extended the coach when the coach didn't deserve it. You extended the quarterback when the quarterback didn't deserve it. And you let too many good players walk off this roster this offseason. So yes, they beat a, a divisional Raiders team today that looked had a terrible second half after a bounce back first half from a tough loss last, last week in Los Angeles. This is going to be an anomaly in my opinion. And if I could bet the under again, I'd bet them again on Arizona. Will they miss the playoffs? I don't know. They may get a lot of these bounces but they are not constructed like a team that should go make a deep run in the postseason. And I believe that firmly, and I believe that, that paying the quarterback right now, maybe a year later, fine, but not right now. They didn't have the right horses in the barn. They're doing this incorrect in the incorrect order, and I feel like they're, they're going to pay for that over the next 17 weeks. Good. Aaron Judge, 59 home runs, driving the storylines, sneaking in some baseball stuff here with the craziness that is the NFL. He's certainly eyeing down that 61, which is the American League record, which is the Yankees record with Roger Maris. Questionable, asterisk, all that stuff you want. He's doing this. And uh, there's just a lot to talk about here. He's not just a home run guy. He's not just a pending free agent. He's not just an MVP candidate. He's all this stuff. And he's a triple crown candidate. Here are the numbers on Aaron Judge right now as we sit here September 18th, about 15 games to go for the Yankees. He's first in home runs. He's 20 more than anyone in, in Major League Baseball. Kyle Schwarber's second for the Phillies. He's got 22 more than the next, next American leaguer, Mike Trout, 37. So he's good in home runs. He's first in RBIs, 15 more than Jose Ramirez. He's good in RBIs. He's now, got, he's now batting 316 on the year in terms of batting average, which is tied for second. One one-hundredths behind Luis Arias. <laughs> Who's at 317? He's a couple, he's, he's basically two hits away from, from being a triple crown candidate right now. So it's not just about home runs, it's the whole package. It's everything he's doing. And oh, by the way, he's got the Yankees back in this thing and they're, and they're getting healthier and starting to turn the corner back to where they were just about a month ago. So is he, an, is he the MVP? Now, what I just told you, and any other season, he would absolutely be the MVP. And by the way, we kind of had this last year with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who was also a triple crown threat, who was also doing this at a, at a ridiculous age. And he didn't win the MVP because Shohei Otani exists in this world. And he still exists. And if you read the Twitterverse and read some articles from The Athletic, you'll understand quickly that this is not a slam dunk MVP for Judge. It's just not. Our own cousin Dan believes Otani's going to get a ton of this conversation and maybe a ton of the votes. So in a season where Judge is 
pending co- pending contract? Is he going to stay in New York with the Yankees? Like all the storylines are as tasty as humanly possible. He still not might not win this thing because Otani can just continue to be Otani for the next fifteen days, you know, two and a half weeks, and sneak this thing out in the end because what he's doing is that crazy, that special. Even though we saw it last year at a high level, the fact now that he's doing it two years in a row in in Otani that is should be even more remarkable. And I've underestimated that. And I've underrated that point. It's not just one and done. It's not just that wasn't an anomaly season in 2021. Now we have to really believe that this thing exists because it never has before in our life. You can say Babe Ruth. I don't even know how you quantify that. You can't, okay? You can't. And, and he wasn't the athlete and he wasn't doing what, what Shohei's doing on both sides. He was available on both sides. And some players have been available on both sides. What Shohei is doing as a hitter and a pitcher now for the second straight season is incredible. And the fact that it is the second straight season makes it more incredible because it's now real. It's now something we can grasp onto. So while Aaron Judge is having a walk-off into free agent season to dream for, something literally every, every kid who makes the major leagues and has six years of team control ahead of him, it's what they dream for. It's Joe Flacco in that Baltimore Ravens situation, winning the Super Bowl and walking himself into a $120 million contract. That's what Aaron Judge is doing, and he's going to get his $300 million because of it, but he might not get that MVP. He needs every ounce of that triple crown. He needs every ounce of New York media. He needs every ounce of Yankees wins to get this thing to the finish line, in my opinion, because what Shohei Otani is doing consistently every four or five days on the mound and every day at the plate is as good as it was last year, if not better. And that's miraculous. That's just miraculous. So at this stage, you want to put money on either of these guys? I'm with you. I'm totally with you either way. You have to be completely objective about this, completely. Because one is incredible and one is unbelievable (laughs) still. So that's where the MVP stuff stands. I mentioned 300 million for Judge. I'm going to do a bunch of uh, YouTube video series soon where I, I talk about the projections that we have on Track and the mathematical calculations and things like that. Certainly, we'll start with Judge because he's going to be the notable free agent from a position standpoint. I just can't see any way possible that he is not the highest average paid position player in the history of baseball. And if it's still eight years he seeks, then $300 million is going to do it, $37.5 million a year. So I'll bury the lead on that, but we'll go through some numbers. We'll go through some of those top contracts. We'll talk about age a little bit and, and how this thing can be structured. But knowing he wanted eight years to start last time, an eight-year extension to start you know, before this season, I don't know why that would change. He's certainly done everything to earn it, whether it's staying in New York, whether it's going to San Francisco, whether it's you know, the Mets, who, you know, wherever it's going to be. I have to imagine that $300 million is the right price for Aaron Judge. And uh, the more accolades he tacks on to the season, the better, better chance he'll have to do that. Bad. The freaking Braves. You know I'm a Mets homer. It's one of the best stories in baseball. The Dodgers are way ahead. The Yankees are way ahead. You know, there's a lot of races completely done. In fact, the Dodgers have already clinched and tossed the champagne on each other. The Braves closed this thing hard on the Mets. The Mets had some injuries. The Mets had a terrible stretch there through uh, some of August. And it's a one-game lead. It's been back and forth. It was Braves were up a game. It's been neutral for a while. It's been gone back and forth. The Mets' schedule has been extremely favorable. And yes, they got swept by the Cubs, but they, 
They had the Pirates come right after that, and that's a, that's a pretty good recipe for getting yourself back on track, which is what this weekend has been for the Mets. It's definitely the race to watch down the stretch here. So I'm not just being Mets fan Mike here sitting in front of a microphone. The Mets go to Milwaukee next, who need every win as possible as well. And the Braves have a decently st- tough stretch. You know, they have the Nats who are playing good, annoying baseball right now, but they're at home, the Braves. Then they go back to Philadelphia where they just were this weekend and, and kind of uh, had to grind it out. So, so here's the Braves schedule. Nats, Phillies, Nats, Mets, Marlins. And the Mets go Brewers, A's, Marlins, Braves, Nats. Certainly swings to the Mets a little bit there. And if we're talking about half game, one game, for this division, which is really important when it comes down to this expanded postseason now in Major League Baseball. You got to think the Mets can get this done. They're going to get Max Scherzer back tomorrow night against Milwaukee. That's one injury that's been taken away from them. Sarling Marte, I don't believe, will be back in the regular season, possibly the postseason. And Ozzie Elbies just came back, and now he's going to miss the rest of the season for the Atlanta Braves. So both teams are dealing with some things. Kenley Jansen's been super weird, and uh, you know they're going to Jesse Chavez and a couple other options in that bullpen. So both teams are kind of going through their, their motions right now in some instances, as you will be in the middle of September in this baseball season. But this is neck and neck. This is as good as you can get in terms of down the stretch baseball. And the division matters a hell of a lot. So you're not going to see anybody take their, their foot off the pedal here. This is the division to watch. And uh, I implore you to do so amidst the juggernaut that is the NFL. Speaking of which, back to it. Good. Elite receivers, whether they change teams or not this year. Tyreek Hill went off nuts today. He's got 19 catches, 284 yards, and two touchdowns in the two games. Major, major connection with Tua, who showed he can get the ball downfield when he's got a guy that can get this kind of separation. So it was a, Tua needed it. He had a bad first half today. He had a weird game last week. He needed that security blanket, and I think he stole some today with Tyreek, who was banged up, got back on the field, and made immediate impact and literally ripped that game away from Baltimore single-handedly. So it's a big win for Miami, who shows that they can clearly be the second team in this division right now, and they will face the Bills here next week. So it's a, it's a good matchup, but an, uh, just an elite receiver showing why the price tag and the trade compensation is damn worth it. This is what it's all about. Cooper Cup didn't leave, but he did get a new contract. He's got 27 catches, 236 yards, and three touchdowns with Matt Stafford in what's been a weird start for the Rams. And I've said weird like 100 times today, but that's kind of the theme. I'm not going to overreact. I'm just going to say things are awkward. The Rams look awkward. And yes, they lost some players offensively on the line and defensively in the middle. They're just a little bit out of sync. You know, they don't have that great second option right now. Al Robinson's really coming along slowly with Stafford. You can tell. And Higby didn't have the performance they needed from him today. So Cup's been the guy. And he's still getting separation. He's doing Devontae Adams type stuff right now in terms of just getting open when, when everybody knows the ball's going there. So the numbers are there. They got their win today. They're one and one kind of back on track a little bit. We'll see if they can calm down and maybe some of those other weapons start to really pick up speed for, for, for the LA offense. But for now it's all about cup and he's worth every single dollar that they gave him this off season. I mentioned Devante, you know, the Raiders are having a, a, a tough start here, but it's not because of Devante Adams. That's for darn sure. He had a slow production day today, but he got his touchdown. He got some separation. Bit of a decoy situation for him. Darren Waller's now back, getting healthier, under contract for the next two years, fully guaranteed. But the, uh, getting him as a focal point for Derek Carr was 
exhibit A for how this Raider season was going to work out, even if it's been a slow start. They're going to they're gonna round back in a form where you can tell they had a tough loss against the Chargers. Arizona had a, a hell of a comeback today. But Devontae Adams and on this roster makes this team markedly better. Whether that translates into 12 wins or 11 wins, we'll see. But the numbers are just as good as everybody else. Your 12 catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns. We'll see if that can improve even more over the next couple of weeks there. Bad. Joe Burrow's sack count. My goodness. Joe Burrow was sacked 51 times last year, the most in the NFL. So they decided they're going to spend the entire offseason fixing the offensive line. They added four new players. Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times in the first two games. Look, at some point, it's about Joe Burrow. And I am not the quarterback guru to sit here and say he's holding the ball too long. He's not moving around enough. He's not extending plays. But even the novice in me thinks it's all of those things. And the offensive line's not gelled and cohesive yet. I think all those things are true. But 13 sacks, four picks, three fumbles. He's got a couple of touchdown passes. It, it, it's not the Cincinnati team that you know snuck up on us last year. Let's put it that way. It's clunky. He's going to chase as much as possible. He's kind of ignoring T. Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd for some reason. Higgins is going to get his sneaky catch and a couple of touchdowns here and there. You know it. But you thought that, that maybe Burrow was going to work harder on focusing on everybody this year. Because everybody was in on Jamar Chase. The same conversation we just had about Cooper Cup. And it seems like Burrow's not quite ready to be full speed. Whether that's the offseason appendectomy surgery, the lack of preseason. He seems to just be picking up steam slowly, 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 slowly. And look, it's a longer season now. 18 weeks, 17 games. He can go through a couple of clunkers here. But can he handle another 50-sack season? Can he physically handle it? Can he stay healthy? Can he stay on the field with another 50-sack season? We saw Peyton Manning do this for a bunch of years, and then we saw Andrew Luck go through it and then quit the game at age 30. So we don't want that. That's not the track we want for this guy, especially after what happened last season. So the numbers are kind of eye-popping right now. I expect them to calm down. They're going to figure something out, whether it's changing the game plan, whether it's you know getting inside this offensive line's head and saying, look, this is, the, this is what this guy does. It's not like other quarterbacks you have. You just got to be able to, to, to be poised and hold him down. So. The numbers are there. We'll see if they continue, but for now, it's a big, big bad. Good. PayPal has threatened to pull their Jersey Patch logo from the Phoenix Suns if owner Robert Sauber is allowed to return and remain with the team as a majority owner. This is the kind of pressure that you've seen quite a bit now over these uh, sports dramas and sports uh, situations, unfortunately. The NBA Brought down their hammer, which was a one-game suspension and a $10 million fine. There was immediate backlash, including LeBron James and Chris Paul. Plenty of major players. Chris Paul, of course, a member of the Phoenix Suns. So you knew this was going to get uglier before it got better. The NBA Players Association came out and said they are calling for him to resign or call for him to, to, them to change their decision and take further action in terms of the NBA. I doubt that's going to be the case, but can they, uh, can they force a resignation? Well, generally speaking, you can't just do it with words, but the, uh, the sponsorships coming in and saying, we're going to cut, cut ties and sever our relationship and pull our money. You can say that Jersey patches aren't worth that much, but according to the boardroom, 2021, 2022 Jersey patches across the league accounted for $225 million, a quarter of a billion dollars. So we're on a really good pace with this. It's been successful out of the gate in just four to five years here. It's a growing business. You know that there are major companies that want in on this. But as of right now, the current 
payee in PayPal wants nothing to do with the Phoenix Suns in their current iteration. So we'll see where this goes. But corporate pressure has been the key component to getting major change in situations like this, and I'm all for it. Bad. I think the Utah Jazz are going to bail out the Lakers. Danny Ainge knows what he's doing, so I'm not going to sit here and say it's the wrong decision. But I really wanted the Lakers to be pigeonholed into a situation that nobody would help them out of. And it looks like Russell Wellsbuck may be on the move. It might not be before the season here, because really, we're, a, we're just a couple of days here away from the preseason and getting really things off the ground, finalizing 12-man rosters and all that. So I don't know if it's going to happen preseason here. But it sure sounds like there's a Jordan Clarkson, you know, Bogdanovich, maybe Mike Conley situation. All players who can play ball, they're not stars anymore. But they're component players that if you put enough of those guys around, Anthony Davis and, and LeBron James, and now Dennis Schroeder back in the, in the fold, maybe Patrick Beverly sticks. I'm not sure on that one. But there's enough guys now and enough guys with experience and enough guys with postseason experience that this team could actually be something, especially in a Western conference that, I don't know, isn't the best. Not the best. But they can certainly hold court, let's put it that way, and win the majority of their games if they can stay healthy and go on a run. I don't believe they can do that right now as they currently exist. I believe they are not a playoff team right now because I, don't, I can't project with any mathematical trend that either LeBron or Anthony Davis will stay healthy long enough this season to make an impact and make them a winning team. But if they get the depth, if they get three to four players here for Russell Westbrook's salary, then it's possible. Now it's something to talk about. Now they can hold their own and throw some different kinds of line, lineups out there you know, properly rest LeBron. Hopefully Anthony Davis can, can fall into a more simple role because certainly as a four, he's doing too much and, and putting too much impact on his body that just can't take it right now, maybe ever. So I believe it's going to happen. It's not bad from an NBA standpoint because when the Lakers are good, the NBA is better. The roster management guy in me <laughs> wanted this one to get stuck because they built this grave. They sure did. The NBA has been good about everybody's tradable. We'll constantly keep, the, keep things moving. Nobody should be stuck unless they want to be stuck. And this is just going to be exhibit, I don't know, ZZZ, that the league is constantly in motion. And even the, uh, the worst situations can be resurrected for the right price. So I believe those two first-round picks will get moved. Danny Ainge will have 97.3 first-round picks over the next decade. Sam Presti will have 197.3. And... Everybody else will just have to sit home and watch the draft like the rest of us. And finally, good. Our resident NBA expert, Keith Smith, has posted his top 50 2023 NBA free agents. That's right. That's next offseason because that's how he thinks. He's way ahead of everybody else, and that's why we love having him on board. 50 players, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Draymond Green, Chris Middleton lead the way. It's a solid list. It's not a crazy list. It's not the Durant situation. And Certainly not a LeBron situation with his extension. But there's a lot of names here. There's a Kuzma, right? There's a Bogdanovich. There's, there's some guys here. Jordan Poole might be one of the bigger names by the end of this season. Tyler Hero, Andrew Wiggins as well. So he's starting to evaluate that process. And, and after this comes those contract projections. So good for us because the content is coming. Good for you because the NBA is not going away anytime soon. There's going to be three, four teams at each conference heading into the season that are legit favorites. Golden State kind of leading the way from a betting standpoint. And then we've got Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, and Jordan Poole as prospective free agents coming right back around. It feels a lot like the Yankees situation, a lot like some of these situations we've seen in sports where 
teams go all in in one degree and then have to turn the page or spend a ton of money to keep it together the next offseason. So keep an eye out for Keith's work. It's going to be great as always and in-depth as always. And if you love this kind of nerdy stuff, we're going to have months and months of it in the NBA. Bad. Major League Baseball free agency is just two weeks away for a lot of teams who will not make the postseason. And like those Golden State Warriors, my Mets have about six notable players set to hit that list, including Jacob DeGrom, Brandon Nimmo, Edmund Diaz, the best closer in baseball, et cetera, et cetera. So will my team be the team that goes all the way and then has to rip it all up or spend a billion dollars to keep it all together? It's possible, but the Mets and Yankees are going to be at the forefront of the free agency next year. That's good for baseball. It's good for me. And I will have plenty of content coming just like Keith will for the NBA in the next couple of months. That'll do it for today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off that first year subscription and download that app. It's excellent. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>